I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 30. Are you ready for the word? Amen. Genesis chapter 30. And uh, you know me well enough by now that I kind of have a tendency to uh, touch on things that's not preached about or taught very often, not to be different or to be new. It's just uh, there's things in my mind that, that uh, it just rouses my, arouses my curiosity when I read it and wonder about it. And then as I look at it, I think uh, I'm going to try to study that out to find out what the Lord is saying through all of that. Now, maybe you have heard a message on this. I, I've been in church for years and years and years, and I've not only not heard a message on it, but I couldn't find a message on it. So that means you've got something I don't have uh, if you have a message on it because I, I just, I've looked, I couldn't find, I saw a few people try to touch, uh, maybe make reference to it, but just pass it by and uh, never really said much about it. But I think it is a beautiful Old Testament portrait uh, of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Genesis chapter 30, let's begin, if it's okay, I'm gonna read a few verses to you, and then for time's sake, I just kinda wanna put it in a story setting so you can understand what I'm trying to get to in this message tonight. In Genesis chapter 30, first look in verse 25. It gives you the time frame that this is happening in the life of, of uh, Jacob. It says, and it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob said unto Laban, I'll pause here, Laban, of course, you know he has worked uh, to get to marry two of Laban's daughters, 14 years. And when this is written, he's actually worked 20 years for Laban, according to chapter 31. But he said, and he said unto Laban, send me away that I may go unto mine own place and to my country. So he's saying, I'm finished. I'm giving you my resignation. I'm moving on. But of course, uh, things have happened during that time. And they have to come up with a way to find severance, if you will. He has worked for 20 years. I know he's very thankful for Rachel and Leah, but he feels like he deserves more because Laban had very little when he went into this, but God had blessed Jacob with the ability as a herdsman to do great things. So now the herd has multiplied. He has, he has goats, he has sheep, he has cattle. Sometimes the sheep is referred to as cattle because it's just referring to the flock when you read this 30th chapter. So he comes down to the solution of all of it. You'll find out that he, he, uh, he says, let me do this. He said, he said, I will take all of the rings straight. That means the striped in the herds. I'll take all of them that has spots on them and uh, and I'll take the ones that really are the least valuable. That's, that's what I'll take when I leave. So he has this agreement and they said that's fine. But then he, uh, he is really betrayed, for lack of a better word. Uh, Laban goes to his sons and he pulls out all the speckled, all the spotted, all the striped or ring straked as it's called and all the brown. He pulls that out and puts it with his herd. Here's the idea. He takes the he goats and uh, the she goats, separates them, and his idea is this. If you've got the male that is striped 
or, or streaked or spotted, uh, then it's going to have offspring that's like that. So let's take all of them out. So all he's got left are those with the solid colors. So therefore, he's getting ready to work and feed Laban's flock again through another season to get nothing. 10 times Laban doesn't pay him. He increases his pay. But do you know something? A pay raise does you, raise does you no good if they don't pay you. They can give you raise after raise after raise. That happens. You'll find that out in chapter 31. 10 times he said, I, 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 I'm going to deceive you. I'm going to tell you I'm going to give you this, but I'm not going to give it to you. So he says, I've got him now. I've separated a three days journey between my flock and the flock of Jacob. All he's got left are the, are the males and the females that can just bear sheep. None of them now have, have stripes. None of them are, are speckled, spotted. None of them are brownish or with a white spot on it. All he's got is purebred and that's all that he can get out of them. So he brings them together and this is what he does in verse 37. Jacob took him rods of green poplar and of hazel and chestnut tree, three different types of trees, and peeled, don't let that word peeled worry you, P-I-L-L-E-D, it simply means like we use peel, like peeling a potato. And he peeled white strakes in them and made the white appear which was in the rods. And he set the rods which he had peeled before the flocks in the gutters, in the watering troughs, when the flocks came to drink, that they should conceive when they came to drink. And the flocks conceived before the rods and brought forth cattle, ring straight, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob did separate, lamb, did separate the lambs and set the faces of all the brown and the flock of Laban and he put his own flocks by themselves and put them not under Laban's cattle. And it came to pass whensoever the stronger cattle did conceive that Jacob laid the rods before the eyes of the cattle in the gutters that they might conceive among the rods. And when the cattle were feeble, he put them not in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. And the man increased exceedingly and had much cattle and maid servants and men servants and camels and asses. Now, that made no sense to me. And you be real sincere. How many sermons have you heard preached on this? I mean, really, it's a tough thing to get a sermon out of a guy that takes rods, drops them in the gutters, which is just the trough, the edge of the trough, drops them in the water, and through that, he suddenly is taking solid white sheep and getting speckled, striped, and spotted sheep. How does that happen? So really, you've got, uh, you, you've got an, in essence, you've got two men in this story that are representative of somebody, scripturally. You've got Laban, which is a type of unrighteousness. He deceived, he didn't keep his word. He was always deceiving to get for himself. He didn't care who he ruined, he was just out for himself. And then you've got Jacob, which according to verse 33, he says, so shall my righteousness answer for me in time to come. He said, 
He's the righteous one. So you've got one that's unrighteous and you've got one that's righteous. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's kind of a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and Satan. Jesus is right in everything he does. He's full of righteousness. The devil has never done anything right. He's not gonna start. He's not righteous. He doesn't care about righteousness. He's out to deceive. He's out to steal. He's out to kill. He's out to destroy. So you have two men. And these two men wind up with two totally different flocks. One flock is what we would call the rejects. That flock, uh, they don't look to be perfect. They, they're, they're not valuable to look at them. They're striped, ring straight. They're spotted. They're speckled. They're brownish. They don't look clean. But Jacob said, I'll take that flock. That's the flock I want. For one thing is that those flocks were rare. Those that were born like that, even with parents that had that genetic makeup, it was rare for them to be born like that. The majority of the sheep, the majority of the cattle, they were not like that. They weren't spotted, they weren't striped. So he took the smaller portion. So now you've got Laban with the greater portion that looks like it's the most valuable and you've got Jacob with the least lesser amount that doesn't look valuable at all. Doesn't that sound like the Lord? I'm glad that God will take odd people and do something with them. See, you have one that was a shepherd and one that didn't know how to be a shepherd. He wanted you to think he was the shepherd, but really all he could do was try to get the shepherd to do the work. He didn't have anything until Jacob come. And I want to add this. We don't have anything till the Lord comes. The Lord changed everything for every one of us that saved in here tonight. He changed it all. When he came in, we were nothing without him. We are nothing without him. But thank God because of him, now I have everything because of Jesus. But he looked at those sheep that were striped, spotted, and speckled, and he saw something in them that Laban didn't see. See, here's what he knew. He knew on the outside they didn't look perfect, but he knew what was in them. Just like he thought, Laban thought, I've got the perfect ones. But no, he was saying, no, all sheep inside of them has what it takes to be speckled. You just got to bring it out. All of them have spots. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean that it's not on the inside. Some, some, you may look back on your sinful life and you were speckled, you were striped, you were spotted and your spots could be seen by everybody. But you know, everybody wasn't an addict. Some people had things that were on the inside, but the spot's still there. And he said, I've got to find a way how to get the spots out of them. I've got to find a way to make them mine instead of Laban's. So now you've got a conflict going on. You've got a shepherd that is trying to have lambs born in this family. Which brings me to this. There's two births. One birth, automatically they belong to Laban. But if they had the right kind of birth, 
and was born the right way, then they belong to Jacob. Jacob is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he's saying is, there's two births. They're either the birth you have, like Laban, you're born into this world, you die, you live lost, you die lost, and you're in eternity forever lost in a lake of fire. But for those that have that other birth, the birth that comes about through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what makes it him. See, he had the word of God and the wisdom of God. When you get to chapter 31, he tells exactly why, why he used these rods and what he was doing. He had a vision and God showed him in the vision exactly what to do. He just didn't explain it until it was done and over with. Can I give you a word of advice? Never tell the devil what you're doing. He is not omniscient. Satan cannot read your mind. That's why it pays as a Christian never to be a gossip. Because if you speak certain things, then the devil will latch on to that and he'll take hold of that. If I get up in the morning and I tell myself how bad I feel, guess what the devil's gonna do all day long to me? He's gonna make sure that I feel bad all day long. But if I get up in the morning and say, this is the day that the Lord hath made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. If I get up and say, thank God I made it through the night and the Lord's given me life, the Lord has given me breath, the Lord has provided for me. If I bless the food that he gave me and thank him for all that he is and all that he does, before long, everything changes. Notice something about this birth. First, he takes three rods. Three rods. Why three rods? Well, I think it's all symbolic of the gospel. I think there's three rods, symbolic of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. I think the three rods are symbolic of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think the three rods are symbolic of our past, our present, and our future. And the amazing thing about these three rods is that for them to be used as a rod, the first thing is they had to be cut. They're a tree. They had to be cut. They had to die. So these rods are a picture of the authority of the word of God concerning the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ or the power of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And more important than that, when you take these three rods, he cut them down, but it's what they were. You have three rods, one is green poplar. The other is chestnut, and the other is hazel. Now, when we read that, that we just read it in passing, but I went to the land of the book and Bible and I studied out these trees on each one, what they stood for. First, he would strike them. What that meant was he would take a piece of the bark and he would peel that down and leaving, exposing a white stripe. So now every one of those rods are striped white. They're all white when you peel the bark back. But with the green poplar, it has a green cast to the bark, which is symbolic of life. Because of the white stripe, we have life. The other two are brownish red. So now you've got crimson and white, crimson and white, crimson and white. 
You know what I'm preaching right now, don't you? It's not only the blood of Jesus Christ, but it's the purity of the blood of Jesus Christ. It is his blood that saves. It is his blood that atones us from sin. So when they're placed in that water, they have a blood effect. So you've got the blood and you've got the blood that is white and pure, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he peeled them down. He laid the rods in the water, in the gutter. Rods are a picture of authority. The rod was used as a defense weapon. The rod is what you, you remember in the Bible talks about in the millennial kingdom, he will rule with an iron rod. That means it won't, it won't escape his vision. It will be what it should be or it won't pass through. He has the authority. Well, what's that a picture of? That's a picture of the word of God. The word of God gives the authority. See, you didn't have to be there and see Jesus die to know that he died. How do you know that he died for your sins? How do you know there's power in his blood to cleanse you from your sin? Because of the authority of the word of God. I don't have any authority in myself, but if I stay in this book and I preach the word of God, the authority is in the word of God. Why do you think they're doing all they can to get the Bible out of the pulpits in America now? They no longer want to have the Bible anymore. They want the Bible taken out. A few years ago, I was preaching in a metropolitan city and a man came up to me after and he said, what do you got there? And I was holding my Bible. He said, oh, this. He said, can I look at that? I said, sure. I handed it to him. He flipped through it. He says, oh, he said, this is a Bible. Is that what you preach from? I said, yes. He said, oh, I outgrew that years ago. <laughs> How can you outgrow the word of God? How can you get so far beyond us? I have tried my best to preach this now for 46 years and I've not scratched the surface of the word of God. And when you see somebody and they say, how do I know that Jesus will cleanse me of my sin? Because the Bible says he will cleanse you of your sin. How do I know that Jesus will save me? Because the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How do you find healing in the Lord? You take the word of God and the word of God is the authority. How do we know that there's a heaven? We have the authority of the word of God. How do we know that Jesus changed lives? We have the authority of the word of God. He told me I, what he was using. He preaches from the Reader's Digest. I'm serious, that's what he preaches from. It's just like a condensed story. I'm not against the Reader's Digest, but I want to make this clear. As long as I'm in this pulpit, I'm preaching from the Bible, from the Word of God. Now, the Word of God will break us, but you can't break it. It'll stand against time. It'll be proven against time. They have tried for over 2,000 years.
tools and used to destroy the testimony of Jesus Christ. Skeptics have denied it. They've scrutinized every word that he ever spoke, every deed that he ever did. But can I assure you, the word of God is sure and steadfast and the word of God is settled forever in heaven. And as long as we stay in this book, we'll be okay. Takes the word of God. He said, oh, you, you need to reconsider that. I said, for what you've got, why? I wanted to know. I said, why? He said, all oh, this will take you so much further. And I said, can I ask you something? He said, sure. I said, do you believe I'm saved? He said, oh yeah, I believe you're saved. I said, do you believe I'm going to heaven? He said, oh yeah. I said, well, I'm getting off there. I don't need to go no further than that. How much further are you gonna go? I mean, it's gonna take you to heaven, isn't that all you need? Thank God for something that you can anchor in and trust in that'll never fail you, and that's the word of God. That's our authority. So he lays these rods down in the gutter, and the first thing we see, we see they come for water. Jacob's sheep and cattle and goats, for them to become part of his flock, they had to get thirsty. You know nobody will get saved until they get thirsty. But when you want water, I know where you can get the water of life that never runs out. So first of all, every one of them was thirsty. Second of all, when they got to the water, and I've heard so many comments. If you search this out, there's no sermons, but trust me, they'll break this down. They'll try to make it scientific. They'll do all types of things. They even say that the sheep were mesmerized by the stripes when they looked at it. And I'm gonna tell you this. Can I tell you why they conceived when they went to drink water and saw those rods? Because chapter 31, God gave him an angel in a vision that told him what to do and God always does what he says he'll do, whether you believe it or not. And he doesn't have to explain himself. I don't think that it would have worked any other way, but yet when he obeyed God, this is a type of faith. So now we've got the sheep thirsty, and now we've got, we've got faith being exercised at the water hole. So here they come thirsty to get a drink, but instead they conceive. In other words, it takes a birth to be part of Jacob's flock. And if you're gonna be a part of the flock of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's gonna take a birth. You must be born again. There's no other way except by and through the new birth. Then as they were born, next came the identification. He knew the ones that was born into his flock. Now, we can fool people, but we'll never fool the Lord. He knows his sheep. In fact, he knows them so well, he can call them by name. And the sheep know his voice and hear his voice, and a stranger they will not follow. He knows his own and his own knows him. So he said, I've identified you. How were they identified? by their spots, by their stripes, by their streaks, by their specks. 
He said, I love you in spite of your specks and your spots. See, the world will still see what you were, but he knows what you are now. You're in his family. So he separates them then. He identifies them and then he separates them. Through this separation process, he looks and he says, that's a strong one. Only the strong will make it. So he just didn't let the weak ones, the feeble ones, they weren't born into his family. You, you, can't, you can't come to the Lord and doubt who he is and get full assurance of your salvation. As long as you are trying to console yourself with your knowledge of salvation, you will never be satisfied. But when I realize he has all power and he can do anything, and if I rely on him, he is able to take the chiefest among sinners and change their life and they can be born again and part of the family of God. And then also, I think this is worth saying. After that, he follows the command. They drink. The lambs are born. They're identified as his own. And then he separates his. You know, we hear a lot about the judgment, the sheep and the goats. Let me tell you something. You're already separated and I'm already separated. He's not waiting to find out who makes it and who don't. He knows everyone that is his right now. And by the way, he knows everyone that's not his. But he separates them. He knows the difference. We don't. He does. But here's the amazing thing. So I keep reading this story. And I think, man, this is so interesting. We've got a picture of the gospel a picture of Jesus, a picture of Satan. We've got these lambs that are being born, goats that are being born, cattle being born. He knows his own, he separates them, but it doesn't stop with just the separation. There's a reason why he separates them. When you get to chapter 31, he says to his family, we're getting the flock all together and I'm going home. And when I go home, my family's going with me. Can I remind you that the chief shepherd is coming soon and very soon to give a crown of righteousness that fadeth not away to all of them that love him and have put their faith in him. And when he comes, he's gonna gather the whole flock together and we're getting out of here. He's gonna take us home. He's been preparing a place for us. He said, if I go away, I'll come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, you may be also. He's gonna gather all the flock together. I was standing there watching those fireworks the other night and I was looking up on the hill. I saw the cross. I watched as those fireworks came down just like rain falling from that cross. What a beautiful sight. And then I saw that cemetery down in front of it. And I got to thinking, you talk about fireworks. One of these days, the graves are gonna burst open and the dead in Christ are gonna rise first and we'll be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Jesus is gonna say, come home. 
He didn't save us to let us lie in a grave forevermore. He's coming again. And then we get a new body. And we get a new home. And we get a new name. (laughs) We're gonna eat, eat new manna, hidden manna. Somebody said, what will it be? I don't know. I know some things on my list it won't be. We all have things we like, things we don't like. Some of you can eat anything. I'm still praying for you. (laughs) Amen. We've all got our idea, but we want to be something when we get home and sit down with him at the table of the lamb. See, Laban didn't have a say. They were gone three days before Laban finally found out they're not here. Church is going to be going. The devil's looking for us. He's not going to find us. We're going to be out of here. Somebody's going to tell him, hey, look, I found, I found this book about the second coming. What's this? What's this? The church being caught up and carried away. And the devil says, I know where they're at now. But where we're at, hallelujah, he cannot come. He'll never enter into the gates of that new Jerusalem. I know that he's met with the sons of God now and he was cast out of heaven. But in that new heaven, in that new earth, and that new Jerusalem, he'll never step foot in the blessed holy city of God. He'll never get there. So I guess the question is just this. Which flock do you belong in? Who do you belong to? Who is your shepherd? Laban or Jacob? I'm following the one that has the life and has the blood and has the purity and has the authority. I'm following that one.